This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Wong. Join us on our quest for a world in which many worlds fit. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. You can follow us online at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl request that I have is that rather than than talking about the glacier or or saying the word glacier yes. if um, if we could uh, talk about what just uh, yeah mountain water uh, maybe uh, the water that uh, arises in the mountain or the water that runs to the mountain um, because it, it's and this will connect with the weather report. It's so much about the, the transitions, more than these fixed states of, of water. Oh, Camilla, one thing before we start. Uh, the, the, the coastal town where you live, I keep forgetting the name. Papudo. Papu? Do. Do. Okay, shall we start? Let's start. Hmm. Well, uh, welcome Camilla in our sixth warming up talk towards the pluriverse in which we investigate the term pluriverse with, with people we like and people we're interested in. And um, we always start with a weather report because we're so far apart. I think it's interesting for you, for us to learn from you um, what kind of weather it is right now, but also what time of day it is. And since um, you just got back from the mountain, you told us in a previous talk, and because it's such a special occasion, because there was an eclipse, and there's this shift, this sort of shift in magnetic fields, maybe you can give us a cosmic weather report. Is that possible? I like that. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, I like that. Um, uh, to give a cosmic weather report, it requires a, a little bit more of a tuning in than, than maybe just looking out and, and telling you that it's quite light filled or that it's nearly th three o'clock, but, um, but that that time of day here in Papudo means that uh, the, the heat has finally arrived because on this particular stretch of coast, there's a phenomenon called bawada costera. And bawada is a, a wet cloud that hangs over the, the coastal mountain all morning long. And it usually begins to clear at, uh, at noon, but it takes a while depending on the wind of the day. And so by three o'clock, it's hot here. Um, and to say all of that, I just have to kind of uh, dip into my skin or open my eyes wide. It's, it's quite, I'm surrounded by this weather. Uh, but for a cosmic weather report, uh, I, I need to um, take a, a deeper breath. <laughs> and um, uh, like the snails do, sort of allow my antennas to um, slowly creep out of my eyes and, and move beyond. So if you'll bear with me for a second, I need to do that tapping in. Yes, please do. Um, do you want our uh, listeners perhaps to close their eyes? That's like, a great idea. Because you are closing yeah. your eyes as well. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah, let's do that. Um, and I think today I'll pull, I'll pull my feelers from my kidneys. So um, maybe to all the listeners, Hopefully you know where your kidneys are, but um, place your hands over your kidneys and rub them a little bit. And the kidneys are, are water, um, they're a water organ and um, they're fluid. And I like to inhale towards the kidneys. And when I inhale, just inhale the, a sense of trust in that water that's within. 
and exhale um, fear because to tap into cosmic energy produces quite a bit of fear. Um, and that fear is sometimes tied to vergüenza uh, or embarrassment to even stretch beyond our bodies and, and say that we can have cosmic feelers. So just inhale towards those kidneys and exhale the fear. And one more time. And as this um, planet is moving through the universe or the pluriverse, it is uh, turning and it is accompanied by all of these other celestial bodies in movement. And it seems to be that we are just going to shift over into a different uh, cycle of this cosmic activity. Some are calling it the era of Aquarius. And so Aquarius is water. And water is uh, so much about the imagination. Water is uh, related to divination. Um, and it is, uh, a kind of a prerequisite of water <laughs> that uh, it can flow, that it can be in movement, uh, even though sometimes it, its movement is more of a stasis. Um, it can congeal and be icy, or it can uh, get um, soupy and be in a, in a, in a pond and breathed all sorts of other lives. But this water, which uh, we are to know that comes from outside of the planet, but lives here so happily on this blue earth that we inhabit, um, is this vivid imaginary that keeps cycling and transforming and metamorphizing. And its principle is uh, quite mysterious, even though scientifically we've sort of pulled, pulled it out the waters right now um, are in a state of frenzy. And these waters of this planet are being shaken by the other bodies around. So um, where I am here, living on a, on a fault line, a deep crack of the earth, every evening, it shakes, it tremors. Sometimes it knocks glasses off of my shelves. You feel it physically trembling. Oh, yeah. And, and you hear it usually before you feel it. Um, so you hear the sound from further, further north usually, and then whoosh, it shakes your house. Um, so this is in fact water uh, expanding and contracting uh, within the planet and that is happening in relation to the larger magnetic field. Um, so right now these movements that I'm feeling in the house are frenzied movements. So they're different shakes. Sometimes it's quite uh, soft and wide and but this one's short and quick and it zoomp. It's related to the, the energy that we have as children uh, a kind of a quick, quick, fast, uh, creative energy, uh, a, a sexual and sensual energy that's being provoked um, from outside the planet. So uh, it's churning us. And as I was tapping into that kidney water, uh, it quickly moved into bone marrow. <laughs> um, and that's really where I got the reading of uh, why it's being churned. Um, there is, a, I feel, um, a process of transformation of our ancestral DNA memory, uh, which lives inside our bones. And it's being provoked. Uh, there's, there's a memory that needs to come to the fore, that needs to be with us to transition in these times of 
of complicated human health on the planet. Because it's been in the back, it's been neglected or it's been... It's been somewhat stagnant. It has settled to the bottom and sooted there, become kind of dark and obscure. And, and by, by shaking, by churning, whoop, it, it, it lifts up, it comes to the frothy surface. Gaia coming to the fore, I think it's uh, I think it's a reading that that many feel at the moment. Mm. Let me pick it up from here to to introduce you, Camilla, because we haven't done so yet. <laughs> Our listeners have plunged right in with you, uh, but actually don't know yet with whom we are speaking tonight. So I have the honor to to introduce you. Perhaps I may call you Yamanana Omora. Kipa, <laughs> I hope I can. Uh, Camilla, you are as plural as the worlds you inhabit, that you fall in love with, and that you seek to protect and interconnect. You are the founder director of Ensayos, which you describe as a nomadic interdisciplinary research program. And formally, actually, you describe it as a residency program. It might be interesting to come back to that, why you decided to change that description. Ensayos has been active for over a decade now in a collective unraveling of the eco-politics of Tierra del Fuego, an archipelago in the southern tip, very southern tip of Patagonia between the, with the Atlantic Ocean on one side and the Pacific on the other. And in recent years, uh, as an archipelago and as Ensayos, you've been teaming up or linking to other archipelagos across the planet, actually in an, in an act of solidarity across waters, um, uh, you mentioned in a talk uh, that I attended recently that you want to learn to think from what connects us and from the water. So we'll get back to that also, this, this thinking from something that moves and thinking in movement. But uh, before we get to that, I still have to list your academic track record, which is quite something. You did a PhD in curatorial practice at Monash University in Melbourne. Uh, your PhD consisted both of a web series called Distancia, which our listeners can listen to. The reference is on our SoundCloud uh, channel. Uh, and you also did an exegesis, exegesis. I stumbled on this word and I had to look this one up. It's a critical explanation or interpretation of a text. Um, this one was called Distancia, a measure of intimacy. Uh, and before you engaged into your PhD, you uh, also did an MA in Modern Art Curatorial Studies at Columbia University in New York, and a Master of Experiments in Art and Politics in the program SPIP at uh, Sciences Po Paris, which is also where you met Bruno Latour, with whom you still collaborate today. Um, and we might get back to that as well. Uh, but besides, besides all of this, you identify and you play with also interesting roles of private investigator, amateur dancer. I've heard you also say in a recent uh, interview that you identify with being ecosexual with the Pacific Ocean as your lover. Uh, you identify as a permaculture enthusiast and, and we got, uh, this is uh, interesting, a flanton chino player, flanton chino flute. Am I, do I pronounce that right? Because as you know, our pluriverse tune has a sort of pan flute-ish theme to it, which by the way was composed by a Finnish composer. Uh, but can I ask you how, from your point of view, you listen to this? I don't know if you have it now in the back of your, if you can recall it uh, from listening to it. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. That was a, good, a... <laughs> a great <laughs> refresh. It's a real pan flute. It's a synthesized <laughs> imitation of a pan flute. Mm. Maybe you want to share that. It came, it came into be quite accidentally. I think I, I, we never briefed Jaco in, in using these instruments, um, but he came up with it himself and we liked it because it's sort of referred to Escobar. It's sort of referred to this sort of global Latin America as a continent. But yeah, after talking to you and also reading your text I was wondering if if we could actually do that mm. can we do that oh that's such a good question um, what can we do <laughs> and and why we want it do we want to do it that's also. yeah yeah and I was never so aware of that because it's in a way you could say it's appropriation I mean we sort of mm. 
take something and use it. Well, you got to the core of the issue immediately. <laughs> um, to say that I'm busy with that question every day is an understatement. Uh, I think I wake up and breathe that question and then, <laughs> and then take it into my dreams as well. Really wondering what, uh, what the right measure is for, um, for being here. What the, the what the what the attitude uh, should be, could be, can be, uh, for uh, existing, um, and what uh, you know, and that I I feel like that uh, there are some there are some set of parameters that uh, can last a little bit longer, and then ones that that are really you have to repack every day in terms of uh, what it is that you can, um, you can claim to know, what it is that you can um, call as, as your own, and, um, and then what you identify as, as well, uh, right? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned El Flauton Chino, and I haven't played it in a while. Um, I played them, I have, I know, Exactly where they are. Oh, when you mentioned it, I almost ran to grab them and wanted to play them. Well, but... you can if you want. El <laughs> <laughs> um, flauton chino is is uh, played in pairs, um, and it's great teaching. To me, has been something that uh, I speak about with Cecilia Vicuña in in the book that that I know that you were reading, Sophie. Um, that's called Slow Down Fast, A Toda Raja. And it, uh, it's El Dosito and El Uno, the two and the one. So El Flauton Chino is played uh, by two rows of dancers. It's considered an instrument, but you're called a dancer when you play this flute. And this flute is spiritual technology from the Andes. And it, um, it requires incredible physical commitment and, and, and uh, a strength of breath that is absolutely trying of a breath as an involuntary act. <laughs> it really pushes you to understand that uh, you are being uh, given breath um, more, than, more than it just is, is something that we can ease into. Um, and this flauton, is very complicated in terms of its uh, colonial history. So what you were referring to, Eric, is who, who can play these instruments? When can they be played? What sorts of rites of passage uh, must exist for one to know when that right moment is for it to be played or not? And what to do with an electronic uh representation of that instrument, which makes it even more complicated. Yeah, exactly. Interesting topic. Representation. Before we began, officially began, we were talking about mistakes. <laughs> and I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. Um, and they are beginner's mistakes. And I've had kind masters, uh, teachers, wise elders who, who have uh, seen that and and allowed me to recognize that they are beginners mistakes and so um, whatever you decide to do with that electronic representation <laughs> it's a beginner's mistake there is never a better moment than to learn that perhaps you shouldn't have used it right? and that process of coming to understand the limitations or or those protocols of use uh, are so necessary we we haven't been taught them. It's about learning, and and about who who may, who may teach you and looking looking to those teachers, uh, teachers that uh, have maybe gone gone unnoticed, because they're they're not at the fore of of the way that knowledge circulates. Mm -hmm. And you speak, um, Camilla, from a I don't know if that's from a mixed heritage. I would say. Hmm positionality because you were uh, you were born in a desert <laughs> mm -hmm. a place without water 
um, then you kind of dedicated a whole decade of your life to, to Tierra del Fuego, this archipelago, which is filled with wetlands, <laughs> which is a kind of body of water. From where you speak and from how you practice, which is such a, as we said in the introduction, is such a plural way of practicing that you have and also polyphonic, you include so many voices, not only of other humans, you mentioned Cecilia Vicuña just now, but also all the other ensayistas and then also the, the natural beings, the mineral beings. Um, so our In Search of the Pluriverse podcast is part of a traveling academy, as, as you know, which is all about traveling as also a way of exchanging knowledge, as a reciprocal movement. How have you come to your current understanding of place? Maybe that's... Mm. Could also in, oh, but also in relation to your very omni... Yeah, your omni practice as a scientist, as a maker, as a curator, mm -hmm. as a collaborator, as a body, and you present yourself as a body in a body that a landscape is. So that's so um, refreshing for us. Um, it doesn't seem to be, you know, and maybe they're not, it's not a question of domains or fields or because that also comes with restrictions and with borders and with crossing borders. That's not where we want to go. But there's an interesting uh, parallel between fields as a landscape or a field that you can be in and, and, and the field that your work consists of or the field that you're trying to... The energy. And the energy, yeah, that comes with it. Exactly. The way that you um, are asking me questions and the depth with which you have paid attention to what I've done is, is uh, incredibly moving. And uh, it's allowing me to respond or to think and now respond in an original way. So I'm going to say things that I haven't said yet or before, I haven't thought yet or before. Um, and my heart is pacing really fast because of it. I'm a little nervous <laughs> uh, to address uh, how the question started and, and this, this mixed heritage that, that Sophie referred to. Um, what I can say about the, that now is, is that I've come uh, to understand that I am a trickster. And that is, a, that is today is something I am aware of and at peace with in a in a sort of an, a joyful empowered way there have been moments in which i've had uh, uh, trouble with that um, feeling always like i was hiding uh, something uh, that i was two-timing double facing that i was never quite in the right place uh, and and um and that has changed and as that has changed I have started to settle. So um, settle within myself first, I settle within this body. So this body is now a body that I, I have some experience with. And so I know its limitations. I know its circadian rhythms um, and I'm watching it also age that's terrifying and exciting at the same time. And being within this body that uh, has some different inheritances itself from different cultures has, maybe has, not has, but affords uh, a relationship to place uh, that uh, up until uh, very recently was of hypermobility. There was something within, uh, within the way that I was brought up, but something within the way that my own body was structured that, uh, that just made me move all the time. 
Right. And and therefore, go to the ends of the earth and keep going there over and over and over and over for for years, and and investing uh, my whole body there, uh, loving, coming to love that place, okay? and and out of deep, deep, deep love for it at the moment, I am uh, feeling like maybe I mustn't go back. Um, so we. We just talked about what we must and mustn't do in in relation to what we like or what we love, or our desires, and uh, and this this sense of who we are on this planet, I think, is is changing, right? And how we communicate uh, this who we are is also changing. Uh, if we're going to transition away from being kind of a human centered collective, then there are ways that we have to stop being the humans that we were really recently even. And so for me, I, it's, I'm seeing it as, as maybe having to uh, redefine uh, my place and my field, my field of energy, uh, what I touch and what uh, can touch me. So you talk about a human-centered collective, uh, which we have, we have been a long time as humans, but what could be, what's the alternative or what's, what are we shifting towards? I think we're shifting towards a, um, 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 what are we shifting towards? <laughs> Sophie knows. Maybe the we is too big. I think you have written, Camilla, that you wrote about um, in Decolonizing Morning, that article you shared with us. You wrote that we need amorous coalitions, mm. which I felt I read as uh, much more than, uh, as other than human coalitions. Yeah. Mm. Like far beyond humans, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was savoring the question, what are we shifting towards? What are we shifting towards? And what I started to hear was the song of El Concon. El Concon is, is a night owl that is also called El Brujo del Bosque, the witch of the, of the forest. And the night lives in its eyes. So if you see its eyes, you move into another night. So there is a night within him and a night around her or, or it uh, or them because they tend to be in flocks and pairs. And El Concon has this incredible wave form of a voice and it is impossible to imagine its body if you hear that voice. Somehow it is many, many different animals. Uh, the first time I heard it, I was sure there was a monkey in a forest and there are no monkeys in the Chilean forest. And then it goes from being monkey to giraffe and then to donkey and then a, a, a tiny little mouse. And at some point you're sure it's whispering words that you know to you maybe even your name. And this, this range, this, uh, this way it has of transforming its presence or its representation of itself out into the world, how it's communicating its plural ways of being, I think is what is happening to us as well. So what, what are we moving towards? Maybe we're moving towards concones. <laughs> we're gonna look it up. I'm very curious about the sound of this owl. Can we? And I can play the recording of it uh, from last night because I encountered it in the forests in the mountain. Let's see if I have it right here. And, and what's uh, really enchanting about its name, its name here, Concon, it's Concon is twice the same word, which reinforces its being, its it's doubleness, it's more than just one. So this, again, this two in the one. And a con con is also 
the name of a place where the waters from the Aconcagua Glacier meet the Pacific, con con. And con means with, so to be with, 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 with. So this amorous coalition is with, 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 with. It's about existing in, in the withes more than in the eyes, right? loud is it really close by or is it always that loud it's it's just all around you eric it's all around you because it's the night so if ever you do see it all you see is night it's <laughs> the energy of the night camilla is the same energy as the energy of the water the yin right it's feminine mm -hmm. which actually brings me to the next thing that we wanted to to bring into this talk, uh, and it's a passage from, from Escobar's book, Designs for the Pluriverse, which, as you know, we, we took as an editorial framework for our search. And the passage that I wanted to ask you to respond to is a passage where, in the introduction, because we're warming up still to the pluriverse, and he quotes um, Claudia von Berlhof, feminist thinker, about th that this Western civilizational crisis is first and foremost a crisis of patriarchy or patriarchal systems understood not just as the domination of men over women but more this systematic program of destruction of bonds destruction of memory destruction of the with with maybe that you just uh, that you just mentioned and um that what is needed is an, another kind of program based on matriarchal ways of life tapping into indeed feminine energies uh, again not necessarily linked to uh, bodies born as women on this planet, but more feminine energy. And he writes, in the beginning, there was the mother, and he writes mother with capital M, uh, which for him, the mother it would be that the relation. In the beginning, there is always the relation. Um, there is not a lands, just a landscape, or a territory, or a nation, or a Camilla. Um, so I was wondering if you could respond to that, especially because I came to know your work thanks to this cosmological garden course from the Center of Arts and Design and Social Research. And in that talk, you mentioned the word comadriare, comothering. Would you like to say something about that? In the beginning, there is a mother. And the mother of the mother. So before the beginning of the mother, there was a mother and a mother and a mother and a mother and a mother. And a mother. And um, my sister is a mother, my biological sister. And uh, she was having trouble with our biological mother and, and her child at the same time, her daughter. And so there was this tug either way. <laughs> um, and she was explaining where, where she was feeling it in her body. Um, and it was giving her, in fact, a back ache right at the height of her umbilical cord, which is of course her belly button. <laughs> so the belly button is uh, the scar that's left from that connection of with with, right? And, uh, and we were just thinking together, being with each other over the phone. She lives many thousands of kilometers south of me. And uh, it dawned on me uh, that her and I, we're already in our mother's body when uh, my mother was in her mother's body uh, in the ovaries. Uh, we were both there as eggs. We hadn't been fertilized, but some part of our body, our mesoderm, I believe it's called in embryology, the external sort of membrane that we are, it was already there. And so this continuity of the with-with We've had to do a lot of work to try and forget it or sever it. We've built a whole fantasy around our individualities, 
fortresses that support that which Escobar is calling that patriarchy that undoes the mother. And it's so wonderful that authors like Escobar and, and many others are reminding us of, of that mother, of that ancestral mother. And I had an extraordinary experience in um, North Western Australia in a place where there is an Aboriginal site of both burial and birth giving. Mm. And it, it is called, it's called an art gallery by the park services that protects this canyon where that sacred site lies. And um, I walked there at night with Christy Gask and Caitlin Franzman, two ensayistas, and it was very, very, very pitch black night. And the sounds of the forest were many of them quite unknown, like the Konkon, so could potentially be any sort of witchy creature able to sh shape shift and to ease our fear of going to this, this gateway of life and death, we sang our way there. It was a four hour walk. And so we went from children's songs that we remember to pop songs to, um, you know, these rhythmic things that just kind of keep you along. And what we were doing was vibrating all the way there as a way to let uh, everything else that was vibrating is that this body, which we were three, were moving there. And when we arrived, what we found was the mother of 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 the mother in what was hundreds of vulvas, hundreds of them carved into the stone. So this, these cultures that have venerated the mothers, they, they, they existed, they exist. They've just been awaiting this conversation, Escobar's writing, you know, we've gone, we've gone hopefully, you know, around and around and around and boop, have arrived uh, back at this portal uh, of, of reciprocity, of mutuality, where we recognize that we are with our mother. Beautiful. Yes. It also reminds me of, of Ursula Le Guin and her carrier bag of fiction theory which really struck me. She's so funny in, in the way she, she sort of pictures this plotless nomadic world. And then she also links it to men. Then this man came, these men came and they started to kill the mammoth. And then they came back with this great story. And from that moment on, this sort of linearity or this goal oriented or this sort of violent approach or movement towards something came to be. And um, it really opened my eyes for another much more, you could say watery or the with, 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 with way of being, but also of telling stories and communicating. Yeah, it's it's that string that that it can just it can be knotted and then it follows or flows or frays into another knot and lots of air in between. If you think of of this carrier bag, that can be quite loose and some things do fall out of them and that's that's a risk. Those things go into kind of the areas of loss of memory until somebody picks it up and puts it into another carrier bag. I guess. Stories want to be told um, and they sometimes have to push their way in to a storytelling arena. And sometimes that requires for something else to be building underneath that story. Uh, the conditions need to be right for stories to be told. You've said that you like to tell circular stories. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Stories that... Uh, start way before they should in a way or or <laughs> that's funny how I put it in fact it's a it's the opposite it's um, <laughs> the stories that have 
a beginning, but that they coil, they can coil back to another place of, of origin. And so usually I know what I want to tell you, but I'll go to the origin instead. And so only if you're patient with me, <laughs> will I ever arrive to the beginning of that story that uh, possibly res responds your question. But that's also this, this non-binary approach to things that's not linear. It's not from A to B. Mm. It's with, with, with. Mm. I love the with, with idea. But I was really intrigued, uh, Camilla, what you said about that you might not go back. And we both think you meant go back to Karukinka. Right? Yeah. But which you've, I mean, you've spent over a decade there, been working on the eradication of the beaver there. You've been. You've yeah, but that piece you wrote is, is like a love letter to. <laughs> it breaks my heart too. I mean, yeah, you, no, you no. Some heartbreak. <laughs> You were the, the, in the here and there. You wanted to sort of... It taught you how to live and die. Mm. But it's the... not about what I want. That's the issue. You, you don't speak of her in the third person, which is mm. so important for the way also as a reader we read mm. the letter. But I think it's also important for what it did to you. So many years ago, I lived in Valparaíso. This was be before I ever, uh, well, I never imagined I would move to Australia, actually. So uh, that came as a complete surprise, almost a panic, as I was about to board a plane. And I realized I had never imagined the place where I was bound to go. And if I hadn't imagined it, did it, did it exist? Okay. And I had luckily a very long flight to imagine it, <laughs> to construct something that I could land on. And uh, some kind words from an auntie of mine, and she said, your ancestors are waiting for you there. And um, I've come to understand that I, I, I felt it immediately, but to understand it uh, more logically occurred uh, thanks to a couple of indigenous Tasmanian friends Greg Lehman and Julie Goff, who introduced me into a Gondwanan understanding of the Southern Seas and how it was that Tasmania and Karukinka might have been uh, much closer than they are today. In fact, one right? now just joined by a larger body of water than before and so when I was there in Australia, um, I felt very distant from this archipelago that has, uh, like you said, Sophie, uh, or like you noticed, has, has, uh, has grown me up. It's, it's seen me and, and taught me how to be seen also. And that's always something so love worth, worthy. <laughs> And um, and as I felt far away from it, I thought, how how do I grow my capacity to project my love back to it? How do I vibrate out my story, um, my address to it, so that it may hear me and that I may respond, so that I may know that I can talk about. Karukinka, so far away from it. And um, I thought of water, the best conductor. <laughs> and I began to swim every day. And as I swam, I would project out my address to Karukinka. And it was a writing practice within the water. So I was using my arms like I would as a writer, as a dancing writer, to throw out these thoughts and um, slowly begin to attune to what I might receive back. Um, I had to push through 
the piss, snot, and chlorine of the pool <laughs> to to <laughs> to kind of feel <laughs> how that water might be connected to that other water. Every once in a while, I did get to go to the actual ocean, but I lived in Melbourne, not in in Tasmania, and so. Um, I was in inner Melbourne and didn't have easy access to the waters, but uh, I traveled with the water that condensed from this pool into the air and then gets swept up and, and moves across. And basically, and this is how I started to talk about how water is imagination. And so the writing was happening in this, in this watery world, but what, was happening there was that I was coming to understand how deep my love was for uh, Karukinka. And, and that love now today has me in this uh, new mode of, of understanding what it is that Karukinka may need of me, its lover. <laughs> and um, when I lived in Valparaíso many years before I moved to Australia, I had the chance to translate for a Buddhist Lama who came to visit and he spoke in English and I had to translate it into Spanish and he had uh, this lovely broken English that made everything he said uh, so dense with meaning and what has stayed with me is that uh, El amor, el ma la mayor forma de amar es dejar ir. The highest form of love is letting go. And there's something about that in relation to Karukinka and, and what it needs. And what it needs from you, right? Mm -hmm. That this is not your decision. Mm. I think you also said once that you don't want to own any part of Karukinka because it it owns you. Exactly, and so it's it's you know it's a it's a catch because you get to know a lover so well, um, but at the moment in which. Uh, I become an expert of Karukinka for say the external world, there's a, there's a problem there. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's not um, who I am. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. not, it might not be really connected, but, the, and I, I need to feel with this, but, but there's this, for me, very co complex word that I can't pronounce. Oh. It's such a beautiful word in its meaning, in its layeredness. And it's about, maybe, you know, when I talk about it, it's about, seeing each other but not knowing or not willing to know what you actually want from each other. Mamich la pinatapai. Mamich la pinatapai. Mamich la la pinatapai. I know that you know that we both know what we want, but neither of I neither of eyes is willing to say so. <laughs> that that makes it so interesting it's this understanding of yeah that there's a potential or that there is something strong and something meaningful and it's open well there's a whole other level at which we can attune and communicate i think also mm with the world for me that's also what it talks about and i know that you have also said that for you in terms of being in the world that the figures indeed of the lover and the figure of the child are the two figures that perhaps we have also bel belittled a bit mm. yeah I, sp I spent a lot of time uh, dipping into uh, that body memory of how I shared my energy as a child, especially in the wild, uh, um, how to continue to move into the mountains with that, with that creative sexual child energy. 
where everything is just alive and 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 both dangerous and wonderful which which often means i arrive at the mountain and have you know forgotten my tent or things like this so i end up having to <laughs> well sophie um i don't want to be the bringer of bad news but i think we should bring this part of the conversation to an end yeah, yeah. We, we could talk for hours that's that's for sure um, do you agree with that, Camilla? Yeah, we could talk for hours. I agree with that. Oh, <laughs> I really lose myself in trying to be present. So I, I didn't measure what was said, what wasn't said. I hope something in there resonated. So <laughs> this was the sixth and very intense and interesting warming up talk in the series In Search of the Blue Rivers. And stay tuned for the next warming up talk in 2021. For more background on this project, you can dig into our Traveling Academy web magazine at pluriverse.hetniweinstitute.nl. You can also read the book that we mentioned by Escobar via the link that we posted under About. Uh, and you can follow us on Instagram at In Search of the Pluriverse. Your hosts were Sophie Krier and Eric Wong. And the tune, including the synthesized pan flute, was made by Jaco Miri. And In Search of the Pluriverse is part of Traveling Academy, an initiative of the Hadnieve Institute Rotterdam that explores how formal and informal knowledges can reinforce each other in tackling ecological, social, and spatial issues. <laughs>